0: I'm Nicole Hemsoth, co-founder and co-editor, and your host for today's episode, which will focus on processor and system trends for high performance computing. Today, we're going to be talking to Andrew Jones from independent HPC consulting firm NAG. Andrew's well-known in HPC for his insights into HPC procurement, cost and funding models and performance metrics, and if you're on Twitter, you know him as at HPCnotes, where he tends to get in a little bit of trouble once, once in a while. Hi, Andrew.
1: Hey. Hi, Nicole. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: Great. I'm excited to get your thoughts about what 2018 holds for high-performance computing in general. Um, I know you talk to a lot of customers in different verticals. What sorts of things are you noticing?
1: We talk to a lot of different companies who are using high-performance computing or planning on using high-performance computing, and we're often brought in um, at either their strategy development level or their planning circle, so what are they going to buy next or how are they going to balance the investments in the hardware with the investments in people or indeed in, in, in new things like machine learning and so on. Um, the questions that come up are the ones you might expect from um, what you read on publications like yours which is how do they deal with the issue of in-house uh, HPC equipment versus the use of the cloud what do they do about all this newfangled machine learning stuff? And then what do they do in terms of picking between the choices in the market at the moment between, say, the Intel processor line and the AMD processor line and AMD and Cavium and so on, and their power. Um, so it's the things that you'd expect to read about. And then sometimes there's a few other things that come up that don't get quite as much, um, until recently, didn't get quite as much uh publicity. Uh so things like cybersecurity and um the service planning around the HPC environment and what kind of services you offer to your users and how you um measure those and the metrics around them. So some of the things those things come up and people are concerned about how you report the value of what they're doing. Um mm-hmm. and of course I laugh about didn't come up until recently because the whole specter meltdown thing has affected the HPC community as well and that's um quite high up the people's um both casual conversations in the circles and also operational planning.
0: Well, you just um, opened up about 25 boxes there that that we could explore. But um, one of the things that stood out to me that you mentioned earlier, you were talking about, and, and maybe three years ago, you wouldn't have imagined having this conversation in the supercomputing context, but machine learning and AI and HPC is obviously a big deal. Are you seeing that this is having... An actual impact on what systems people are buying so for instance maybe they wouldn't have bought um, something with the latest GPUs on it um, if they weren't planning on doing some deep learning training for instance as part of their overall workflow is it really having an impact on what people are buying yet or is it still kind of a kicking the tires phase
1: yeah, I think so. So most of the kind of organisations we talk to are doing what I would call traditional HPC type work. So um, the oil companies doing seismic imaging and so on, uh, manufacturing companies doing uh, computational engineering, computational chemistry, uh, computational fluid dynamics, things like that. Um, and whilst they're all um, investing in some way or another in the um, the machine learning slash AI slash whatever you want to call it. Um, and actually, that's an important point, is that whilst machine learning and AI and data analytics and so on and big data are all different things, for most people thinking about it, it gets lumped into a pot of stuff like that that I need to worry about. Um, It's not really affecting the hardware purchases that I'm seeing anyways. What it is affecting is some of the people's plans for future staff investments and where they're growing a team to start to understand this stuff and figure out how to deal with it and how to bring benefits from the business with these kind of techniques. So it's more of a people investment um, and the occasional turf war inside companies, um, but it's more of a, a people investment than a hardware investment so far, I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. and and when you say a people investment are these folks that are uh experts in say Tensorflow or some of the frameworks or uh, who are they looking at and where's where's this coming from
1: so so that's part of the problem is they don't necessarily know what they're looking at. They tend to be looking at it at a higher level of um a broad term of a data scientist for example and um, this it's I've certainly not come across anybody who's looking at specific expertise like tensorflow. It may be in some of the software tools or it may be. Um, broadly in data analytics and statistics um, and people have got understanding how to bridge that into a business solution um, mm-hmm. rather than any specific uh, technology underneath mm-hmm. from, from the teams that i'm aware of anyways
0: part of what's always interesting when you and i've talked over the years is that you have a pretty balanced view into what national lab and research and academia <laughs> what those sorts of hpc users are doing and also the commercial hpc users and there's Um, I think traditionally been quite a bit of difference in terms of how they how they looked at HPC in terms of um, ROI and drivers. How has that changed uh, in the last couple years and and what's really the current status between commercial HPC versus academic HPC? Are the the gaps getting wider or smaller? Uh, Help me understand.
1: So um...
0: Uh,
1: it depends on the scale so there are um, clearly that the, the very large national apps are kind of in a league on their own and they're operating under different principles um, of return on investment where they're making return on investment calculations based on national benefit rather than just benefit to their organisation they're also um, looking at co-developing the systems they're buying rather than merely buying the systems um, so, so they, they can kind of park those off into a, a different category if you just look at the, the general scale of the HPC labs and you look at the academic centres versus say the commercial centres is um, it is not true to say that one is using bigger resources than the other, it's not true to say one's been using HPC longer than the other, those those myths are some of the things that cause me to get into trouble on Twitter when I start having a go at people who trot out the the phrases like you know restricted to national labs and suddenly <laughs> industry's using it, it's just, it's just fundamentally not true. Um, The the biggest HPC systems in industry, um, uh, in particular say from the oil and gas sector, are substantially larger than most of the systems that universities would dream of having, never mind have gotten in in place. Um, But equally there's a lot of companies out there who are using HPC who are using it at a very very small scale compared to the typical university environment. So the the scales run across both. Um, The arguments around um, return on investment. Uh, have always been much stronger in industry but I think certainly over the last um, year or two we 've noticed that catching up much more strongly in the university sector and in the um, the other um, publicly funded centers that they 're having to pay much more attention to um, impact statements and return on investment statements and um, cost benefit analysis around investing in the hPC is no longer just good enough to say um, this is going to do wonderful science. It needs to be a, a stronger case around that. Mm. So that, that's that's kind of changed over time. Mm-hmm.
0: Are you seeing a lot more smaller companies actually use HPC, whether it's on-prem or with the many resources that have opened up over the years for cloud-based HPC? I mean, I really, you have to hand it to a company like Amazon that they have stayed ahead of the curve in terms of adding uh, new GPUs. I know Google Cloud Platform is sort of working toward integrating more HPC uh, users. Um, obviously, Azure has been at that for a while. So, what are some of the trends for the smaller scale HPC players that you're seeing?
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. So, um, so we're certainly becoming aware of a lot more companies using HPC. Whether that represents a a a um, a particularly novel and new super growth in the comp- number of companies in HPC, or just our awareness of them. I don't, I don't know whether I can truly answer that question. Uh, but you're right that at least part of that seems to be enabled by um, the HPC in the cloud. So for the largest companies, um, you know, the very large aerospace companies or the very large oil firms or whatever it is, their own in-house HPC resources are um, are not going to be easily replicated by a cloud environment. For the smaller companies um, who are doing you know HPC on you know a few nodes, a few tens of nodes, a few hundreds of nodes, um, it becomes quite attractive to use the cloud for that kind of uh, scale of resource. And so the fact that the the three big cloud companies are deploying uh, HPC capable environments of differing scales and different um, uh, experiences across the three providers. Um, is attractive and makes it easy for people to try it out and to grow it. And maybe it comes a point where they have a mix of in-house kit and a mix of stuff in the cloud. But broadly, for those starting up or for those doing it at a small scale, just doing it in the cloud seems to be the sensible option. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's not... Um, it's not just about cost. I mean, people often talk about the cloud being a, a cost saver. In, in general, it's, it doesn't always win out economics, um, but it wins out on the surrounding business benefits. It's a business discussion, not a technical one, around things like flexibility and um, better security and uh, you know better regular updates and things like that.
0: Right. That, that's always been a tough nut to crack, figuring out what the real cost benefits are that are so often touted when it comes to HPC cloud. It's... Um, I really don't think it's often that much cheaper, maybe less of a hassle, uh, it, like you're it, saying. But
1: it depends on on where you are and how. So if if HPC is a core part of your business, um, so let's say let's say as I said, the examples of the oil companies, for example, they um, the the HPC is a core asset within their business. It's core to their seismic imaging. It's core to what they're doing. They therefore put a lot of effort into making sure the HPC is right, is cost effective, and so on. Um, And as one of them said, shame on us if the cloud companies catch up with us. And that's really where they're at. They expect to be more capable, uh, more performant and cheaper, substantially cheaper by a factor of two or three than the cloud companies on a total cost of ownership basis. Mm -hmm. But if you're not operating at that scale and you don't have that relentless focus on um, that cost and performance and so on, and it's it's not core to your business, it's an incidental part of your business, it's an enabling capability to a an engineering team or whatever it is, then perhaps um, the cost equation changes. And there are certainly cases where I've seen a total cost of ownership model show that cloud wins on cost as well as on other features.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh You know, speaking of cost issues for HPC and, and moving out of the cloud and, and back to the real world for a minute here... Um, we we obviously tracked some of the um, pricing surprises. Let's just say with Skylake this year. Um, what are what are people thinking about in terms of investing in on the processor side for HPC? And of course, you'll need to break this down um, as you do everything between the, the really large scale centers and and some of these smaller players. But I mean, overall, what what's your sense of of things after talking to all the people that you do?
1: Um. So so I have to be a little careful here because of course we, we help advise on procurements and actually help customers answer exactly this question on a regular basis and, and indeed are currently doing so. Um, so I have to be a little careful, but what can I say? Um, the, the initial pricing of Skylake relative to the actual performance benefits that people were seeing with their codes um, was a shock to those customers um you know obviously the, the codes run faster on Skylake than they do on the previous generation, but they don't run as fast as the markup and price. So in other words they're losing a bit on price performance. Um that in itself was attention. And then along with that um the other processes in the marketplace or the options started to become mature. So you have the you have the power processor, you have Um, the upcoming uh, Thunder X2 from Cavium, you have the Epic from AMD, which is out in the marketplace at the moment. And those all became real options rather than just roadmap options um, over the space of the last few months. And that means that there's now a competitive pressure and people are seriously looking at what the alternatives are. Um, And now we do a lot of benchmarking work for customers as well as broad technology evaluation and strategy discussions, we actually do a lot of real benchmarking. We take the customer's code, we run it across the different processes and we, we see which one wins for their code and so on. And the interesting thing we're seeing is that in some cases, um, things like Epic or ThunderX2 or so on are actually winning on performance, not just on price performance. Now, clearly it depends upon the specific case and so on. So there's a lot more competition in the marketplace and that, um, Whilst this the Intel uh, processor space has some clear advantages in some cases, performance advantages. It has some business advantages like a more mature mature software ecosystem and so on. It is no longer a straightforward choice in the way it has been for the last few years. Of go by the latest Xeon.
0: Right, um, all good points. I'm I'm curious too, just based on your conversations, even even outside of your consulting work. You and I are always at these events for HPC, talking to people, trying to gather a composite view of how people think about things. But do you really feel like AMD has a, a real story in HPC over the next couple of years? Outside, outside of the fact that, yes, we know the price performance is very good. Are people ready to make that jump, do you think? What are you sensing? So it's not just the
1: it's not just the price performance, it's the actual raw performance as well. Sure, sure. Um, it's is good. So uh, I think, the AMD story they have is is good. It's very good, it's 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 kind of back to where they were with the early Opteron days, where it's it's potentially disruptive to the market. It's that good. Um, it's coupled with um, some of the other players not quite playing executing as well as they have done in the past, either on roadmaps or on pricing or whatever it is. So I think AMD is selling an extremely good promise at the moment. The detail of that promise looks good when you start benchmarking it. Um, the, the caveats, if you like, are that you don't buy a processor from IMD, you buy a processor from, as part of an overall system from a, a Cray or a HPE or whoever. Um, so you're relying on a, somebody else to then build a system around that. So, there's kind of a chain of will aMD execute on their promises so far it seems they are will any of the big OEMs pull it into place in time and execute on their promises, and then will it be priced in such a way as to make it attractive to the customers and will somebody be willing to take a risk Now, we're seeing good enough performance and good enough price performance that we think customers will be taking the risk on that and and then you're down to things like software ecosystem. And it's not actually that discontinuous a software ecosystem, so I would be surprised if there aren't some large um, Epic based uh, deployments in the coming year.
0: Right, right. Obviously, the other story that that somewhat surprised us, I guess, uh, in HPC to to the next platform's view. Anyway, was just how strong the support and interest was in ARM yes. over the course of the year. At at for for us and for those of you out there who who are not um, HPC oriented people, our our two big shows of the year, obviously, the International Supercomputing Conference and supercomputing, which is in November. And the story around ARM um, and all the support it was getting from the OEM uh, ecosystem, as well as just people that were interested, was pretty astounding. Has that translated into real-world uh, use cases that are, are, are on the horizon, or is it just more yay, we're so glad to have something different than x86 out there to, to work with. Uh,
1: no, no, again, so, um, so, so the, the, the one that's getting the attention in the arm space um, is the Thunder X2 from Cavium. Um, and yes. again, depending upon exactly what you're benchmarking, that looks pretty good in some cases. Um, it's it's actually more integrated in, into um, some of the tier 1 OEM's roadmaps than the Epic at the moment. Um, so the, there's there's uh, people are putting commitment into developing platforms and delivering it to the market, and they wouldn't do that if their own internal development hadn't suggested it was going to be a real candidate. So mm-hmm. um, it's, it, um, you know, I don't want to comment too much on what's going to be available when, but I think it will come into play a little bit later than the Epic, maybe, um, into people's thinking. Um, but it mm-hmm. depends. I mean, it's. Um, I think it's a real option. People wouldn't be putting the effort into it if it wasn't a real option. And the early why, benchmark. Why do you think
0: that up. is? Why why do you think ARM is, is getting more traction than, than AMD, which uh you might think it'd be the other way around, right?
1: Uh, well, no. So I'm not. I'm not sure. I'd say that either AMD or ARM is getting more traction at the moment. In fact, I think people will probably see the AMD as the slightly safer option because it has the x86 ease of compatibility. Hmm. Um, although, having said that, our experience of compiling stuff for the x 2 has been um, very easy. So it that in itself isn't isn't truly an but an issue. But it could be a perception mm-hmm. issue.
0: How much work have you done on that by the way with uh with ThunderX for HPC applications? I know uh, we've written about a couple of those things. Um there's a great ARM working group uh that that comes to these things that I know has been really active in porting codes and showing people the light as it were. <laughs> so yeah.
1: So we've been involved with um both with ARM and with Cavium and with um some of the other ARM uh, companies for a number of years um things like helping with the software ecosystem and then some maybe some more recently helping with some of the benchmarking and stuff we've also been actively benchmarking um the thunder x two product for example uh, for some of the customers who are considering procurements at the moment so um we we have done enough with it to be able to comment sensibly i think
0: okay well, comment sensibly then <laughs> it, it looks it looks <laughs> I mean,
1: it looks good. I think this is the pro, And the same is true for, for the AMD stuff and the same is true for the power stuff. Um, and of course, Skylake as well. You, know, you can't leave that out of the mix. Um, and, and this is the problem. In fact, they all look credible solutions. Mm-hmm. There is no one that you say, this is the easy option. This is the default. And I think um, if we'd have had this conversation a year ago, we might have been saying, look, you know, Xeon's going to be your default. The rest of them are all... F- in fact, I did say this. The rest of them are all really fighting for who's going to be number two they're not mm-hmm. really fighting with Intel, and I think what surprised some of us in the industry over the course of the last few months was we realized, well, actually, no, there is it is an an, an all way fight, not just a, you know the, the the big boy and then the others fighting in the background.
0: Hmm. I mean, in an, in five years from now, for instance, um, I'm I'm going to ask you to go out on a limb here. I'll give you my guess if you give me yours. So, um, what what market share in HPC will will ARM processors have? Might it be
1: 5%? 20? 40? Um, how do you measure market share? You mean in terms of total shipments or dollar value or number of systems um, that are based, on it, that are based on it or number of top 100 systems? Or Oh, I know, I know, I know. We can get so into
0: our performance share, but how about number of systems based on ARM? You know, What, what kind of share might it get?
1: I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't even be a, begin to guess that. Um Mm-hmm. I, I would, I would think that. Um, um, no, because I mean, you, you're dependent upon long-term roadmaps and stuff. There, <laughs> that would get into comments I don't want to make based on stuff that's under NDA.
0: But well, l- um, lucky for me, I, I get to say what I want with impunity. So yeah. I'm a journalist, but I'm going to go out a limb and say, in five years, up to twenty percent.
1: I uh, I I think if you turn the conversation the other way around and you take Intel's current whatever it is ninety plus dominance of the the market share, I think Intel will have done a surprising and amazing job if they recover if they retain anything like that market share in five years time.
0: Mm-hmm. And just just briefly here, how how big of an impact do you really think over the next five years is something like that, uh, spectrum meltdown issue? Um. <laughs> to put it mildly, you know, how long term will that sizzle uh, keep up, you know, where, where uh, people are a little shy? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, well, so that that affected almost every processor that's out there at the moment, so it's not an Intel-specific thing. Um, so, you know, Intel was affected mm-hmm. worse in, in some of the some sure. of the specific instances, but it affected everybody. Mm-hmm. In terms of actual performance on the codes, it'll be horrible for the next year, and then we'll tune it out and work our way around it, and we'll move on, and it won't be an issue. Um in terms of um, how it's impacted people, I think it will cause people to just slow down and think a little bit more about security, um, because there's been there's been that the Spectre and Meltdown issue, there's been a whole load of big consumer breaches over the last couple of years. There have been substantial breaches of uh, HPC systems over the years. They've always just been kept relatively quiet. Um, but those within the industry talk to each other know that they've happened so that there have been quite big breaches um, and there's been a few other things like discovering slightly odd things with some of the hardware when it's been manufactured and you wonder whether something's been inserted in at run time, at, at production time and so on so th- there have been security issues over the years with, with the HPC environment but I think the the sheer publicity around the meltdown inspector means that the cybersecurity around hpc systems is going to become a bigger part of centers thinking than it has been mm-hmm. in the past so that will be the lasting effect rather than the specific software issues
0: yeah i'll tell you it's funny i spend a certain amount of time every week just just to feed my story ideas and 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 my uh, view into what's happening in HPC, looking through recently published papers, and I have rarely encountered anything on HPC security. And just in the last month or so, there are several things that actually touch on this. So ultimately that can't be a bad thing, right? So
1: No, and there's some active working groups on it. So, um, so NIST, uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology in the US is chairing um, a working group essentially that's figuring out um, what to bring to the community to deal with the idea of cybersecurity in mm-hmm. HPC. And it's interesting the different players in there are bringing different approaches to it. Um, it's, you know, because you have uh, different government communities, you have industry, you have uh, academia in there. Um, and the the concept of... a uh, uh, Most of us think of our HPC user base as a relatively trusted bunch of individuals. In other words, the malicious attack is going to come from outside the system, not from inside the system. Um, you know, and maybe we need to change some of that perception over time and so on. So there's a whole range of issues with cybersecurity that the HPC community just hasn't truly dealt with before.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, in our last 60, uh, 60 seconds here, Andrew, um, just give me a quick overview on what you expect for the rest of 2018 and and we'll see what happens from there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so I think, I mean, more of the same. So uh, people trying to figure out how to get the machine learning into what they're doing people dealing with the cloud question it doesn't always win but it is a question you absolutely have to consider every time now um, people dealing with the cybersecurity security issue we just talked about um, people doing benchmarking and um, you know that's good, trying to decide between the processes um, the whole issue of GPUs we didn't really touch on that how is the market going to react to NVIDIA's um, somewhat curious decision to um, Ban people from using the gamer cards in the data centers. Um, the right. customer reaction to that has been um, uh, not polite. <laughs> um, uh, it'd be interesting to see what the real reaction to that is in terms of purchases and, and so on. So there's there's things not, like that going on.
0: Not to get you not to get you off track, but real quickly, what are you hearing about that from people? We haven't written about it yet. We're still <laughs> gathering some info. So just. Um, uh, Get yourself in trouble with NVIDIA, Andrew, before we go, please.
1: Um, So I think I would summarise the reaction from all of the customers I've spoken to, all of the customers I've spoken to, as what on earth do they think they're playing at? Um, Do they seriously think that we're going to turn around and buy their high-end cards instead? No, we're just going to go buy something from somebody else, like a standard processor. Um, So, now, whether that transcends reality or not, I don't know, but the um, the customer base is not amused. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Very good. Um, Your thoughts are always appreciated and welcome. I'm sure we'll have you back um, around some of the big events in HPC since you're always on the ground and thinking about things and talking to people, uh, doing our job without doing any writing for the most part. (laughs) 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 Anyway, always good to talk to you. Thank you so much, Andrew.
1: No problem at all. Great to talk to you, Nicole.
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye.